If you have your Bible, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. It's in the middle of your New Testament, so towards the back of your Bible. And there is no shame with looking at the table of contents and finding the page number and turning there. Um, that's, uh, we need to do that sometimes. So uh, find that, Galatians. Also, it will be printed for you in your bulletin, and it also will be on the screen behind me. But we've been studying the book of Galatians, and we're spending our third week in chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 21. And I'm going to read the whole passage, but we're really going to focus in this morning on verse 16. And there's a reason uh, that we're going to really focus in on verse 16, and that's because this is the entire book of Galatians in one verse. Somebody were to put you in a corner, not that they would, but if they were to corner you and say, tell me what the book of Galatians about is about, this is your verse. You get verse 16... You get Galatians. You get verse 16, there is a sense in which you get the gospel. And so follow along with me. Again, I'm going to read this whole section for us. uh, Verses 15 through 21 of chapter 2. This is God's holy word. Let me read this for us. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in an endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I proved myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is God's word. Let me ask him to help us through his spirit this morning with this passage. Let's pray together. Father, uh, you tell us in your word that we are a helpless people and that we are helpless to understand your word and to understand this passage specifically that you have for us this morning, unless you come through your spirit and open up our eyes and unstop stop our ears and give us ears to hear. And so we ask that you would do that, and that you'd come and that you would help us through your spirit, that you would take this passage and that you would apply it to our hearts and change us. Lord, some of us have been doing this all of our lives. And uh, we need a word from you. We need you to make this fresh. And so would you come and make this passage fresh in a new way so that we can be different people, so that we can change. We'd be very thankful if you would do that in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Many of you know that, uh, and if you don't know, you're learning now that we had a family trip to Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Yeah, 
That sounds fun, doesn't it? Um, my family, uh, the, the, it was a sterling family vacation. My parents actually took our whole family, and we never do things like this as a family, but my parents took my brother and his family and Susie and I and the girls, and we went to Walt Disney World, and as hard as it is to imagine, we did have a really good time together as a family, and I was really thankful for that. It's exhausting, but we had fun, and if you've been to an amusement park, and if you've been particularly to somewhere like Disney World, you know that you live or die by one thing, the map. And at Disney, you live or die now by the app, which includes the map. It's uh, an app that they uh, have, My Disney Experience app, and you need it. Why do you need a map? When you've had to use a map, why do you need one? Well, you need one when you lose your bearings and you don't know how to get where you're going, where you want to go. It happened to us. We wanted to go to Splash Mountain, and we had lost our way, and we didn't know how to get there, so what did we do? We pulled out our map, we made our landmarks, there's Cinderella's Castle, and we found our way, and we figured out how to get to Splash Mountain. You've all experienced that at some point in your life. You don't know where you're going, you lose your bearings, so you get out your map to find where, you, where it is you need to go. That is the Apostle Peter in this passage. Remember, this, Martin preached on it last week, verses 11 through 14. This is very important, and we'll talk about later. This is a continuation of that conversation that Paul is having with Peter. Remember, uh, Peter has lost his bearings on the gospel. Peter believes the gospel. He's an apostle. He walks and talks with Jesus. This is 20 years, 15 to 20 years after the death and, and resurrection of Jesus. And Peter has lost his bearings. He knows the gospel, but he's not living in light of the gospel. And let me stop right there. I find that deeply encouraging, don't you? Anybody else ever lose their way and lose their bearings on the gospel? I do. And Peter lost his bearings on the gospel. And if Peter, who is an apostle, who walked and talked with Jesus, is prone to lose his bearings and way with the gospel, how much prone, more prone are we to losing our way? See, we need a map, don't we? We need a gospel map. And Paul, the apostle Paul, is giving Peter in this passage a gospel map. And he's giving us this morning a gospel map as well. And you know that every good map comes with a good key. A good map key. And the key is the information and the terminology that you need to make sense of the map. And to actually explain what the map means. And so this morning I'm going to give us a key for our gospel map. So that we can learn to apply the gospel to every single area of our lives. So that we can get our bearings when we lose our way. And so the two terms for our gospel key this morning are this. Works of the law. That's our first point if you're a note taker. And the second point is justification by faith alone. And some of you are like, whoa. This sounds really heady. And this sounds really theological and technical. But before you go there, let me remind you, these are Bible words. They're in our passage a lot. And let's let also think about this. All professional fields have terminology 
that you have that allow you to talk about your area of expertise. We see it in the medical profession. We see it in the law profession. We see there's terminology in people who work in finance. And I even learned at Disney you have terminology that you got to get to know to get up to speed really quickly. <laughs> Very quickly you realize you got to learn what fast passes are. you got to learn what extra magic hours are. And you got to know what terms like monorail mean so that you can get where you need to go. Well, the same thing is true of Christianity. There are some terminology, some really important words in Christianity that actually help you understand Christianity. And so we're going to talk about really two really important words that are a must for our, us to know if we're going get, to get around and find our way on our gospel map. Works of the law, justification by faith. So let's look at number one, works of the law. Look at verse 19. I died to the law, Paul says. Now what does Paul mean when he says this? Well, here's one thing he can't mean. He cannot mean that the law is no longer important and that we no longer need to obey God's law. That can't be right. Why? Because Scripture interprets Scripture. Right? That's a very important Bible study principle. And we know by looking at the rest of Paul's writings that he tells us that the law is important and as a Christian you need to obey the law. So it cannot mean that. And so what does Paul mean by saying I died to the law? It means that he has died, he now realizes and has died to the law as a way of being rescued. As a way of being saved. He realizes that the law cannot save him. That no matter how good he is and how obedient he is, that he can never make himself good enough in and of himself by keeping all the rules in order to be acceptable to God. That's what he means. That's why he says what he does in verse 16. Look at verse 16 again. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what's interesting. The word righteousness and the word justify are actually the same word in the original language, which in the New Testament is Greek. And so you could read this in a sense. You could say a person is not made righteous. Not made right by works of the law. And notice how many times, three times, look at verse 16 again. Three times Paul uses that phrase, works of the law. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that anytime any Bible writer mentions a phrase three times in one verse, that you need to stop and say, Hold on, something's happening here. This writer, God, is trying to tell me something. And if he's going to put something three times in one verse, we better pay attention. And so, what does he mean? And that's why we're paying attention to this phrase. What does he mean by works of the law? Well, I think when you look at it in its context, in verses 11 through 14, by works of the law, Paul clearly means everything that he's been talking about for the previous two chapters in the books of Galatians. Circumcision, but not only circumcision, eating kosher, Sabbath keeping, And all of the rest of the clean laws that the false brothers and false teachers were trying to add to the gospel. Remember, 
Paul comes and says, the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. These false teachers came and said, no, no, no. Jesus plus do all these other things. And so this idea of works of the law is really all of those things, but it also includes any human effort at all that you add to Jesus in order to make yourself acceptable. But here's what I want you to hear this morning, okay? Righteousness is an enduring human need. Let me say that again. Righteousness is an enduring human need, and it has been ever since Adam and Eve lost it in Genesis chapter 3. And here's what I mean. Here's what's very interesting and easy to overlook. It seems like that Paul, the Apostle Paul, and these false teachers, these Judaizers, these false brothers, that they don't agree on anything, that they are just completely opposites, but they actually do agree on something. You know what they're in agreement on? They're in agreement on the fact that man is unclean and unfit for a relationship with God and not acceptable to God. They agree on that, but how they make themselves right is where they differ. You see, you can jump through all the intellectual hoops you want in order to get away from the fact that, that uh, to get away from the fact, but everyone knows deep down in their soul that they are stained with sin. Everyone. Deep down in your soul, everyone feels unclean and is seeking in some way, shape, or form in order to make themselves righteous. And in order to make themselves clean, if you're not convinced, then why is there so much spin in your life? Why do you ever so slightly shade the truth in order to make yourself look better in front of other people? Why is it that when I finish a sermon on Sunday and I'm driving home at 12.30 and I'm looking back over my Sunday morning that all I can think about is the stupid things that I've said or the mistakes that I made? Why is it that when I preached at an RUF conference a few weeks ago for the schools in Georgia and Florida, why is it that when I got up, I had four sermons in the weekend, and on the second sermon I got up, and I might not even be able to say it now because it's too much pressure, (laughs) but I could not say the word contractual. I've said that word my whole life. And I got up and I said, uh, 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 I, I said, let me try this again. I tried it again and it wouldn't come out. I tried it a third time and it wouldn't come out. And, 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 and I finished the sermon. You know what I thought about the, the rest of the weekend? That. And I felt foolish. Why is it this morning that it is so hard for us to be vulnerable with other people? Why do we hide and cover up? Why is it so hard for us to be transparent with others? Why is it this morning that we work so hard at building our resume? That you work and work and you keep thinking, I'm, when I get that position... Or I get that grade in that class, then I'm going to be able to, or get into whatever graduate school that you want to get into, or get to that point in the company, you think, I'm going to be able to breathe, I'm going to be able to relax, and I'm going to be able to enjoy life with my family, and what happens when you get there? 
You don't. Why? Because you know something's not right about you. And you get there and you work harder and there's one more goal that you've got to meet. Why do we feel that way? I'll tell you why. Because deep down we know that there's something not right about us. We know that deep down we are unclean and we secretly have this feeling that we aren't acceptable and so we've got to prove ourselves to our to our own hearts, but also prove ourselves to other people that we are worthy and lovable and valuable. The false teachers knew it, and the Apostle Paul knew it. I'm a Rocky fan. Any Rocky fans here? I've seen all the movies. You know, the latest Rocky movie, Creed, Adonis Creed, Apollo Creed's son, and Rocky's his trainer. And there's this scene, incredible scene, where Rocky's in the corner and he's getting ready to throw in the towel on Creed. And Creed looks at him and says, no, i got to prove it. And Rocky looks at him and says, prove what? You know what Adonis Creed says? I gotta, he says, i got to prove that I'm not a mistake. i got to prove that I'm not a mistake. See, we're all looking to something. We're all looking to some work of the law. If we're not looking to Jesus, we're looking to some work of the law that makes us feel like we're okay, that we're not a mistake. We're all looking for someone to give us a verdict to say that we're enough and that we have value and significance. For Adonis Creed, it was athletics, it was boxing. What is it for you this morning? It might be your morality and your religion where you look at other people and you compare yourself to them and you say, you know what, I am so much better than them and more spiritual than them. I am really doing okay. That is what gives me my verdict that I'm good, that I'm enough. Or maybe it's parenting. Your kids are better than their kids, and so you're okay. Or your kids have turned out out all right, and so... It makes you okay, or it might be your career. It might be this thing that you say, if I've, I've accomplished something, and so I know that I'm not a mistake. Or how about this one? I will prove that I'm not a mistake by, by what I do up here on Sunday mornings. You see, like you, I struggle to find my righteousness And my temptation every single week is to find my righteousness and my value and my worth and my calling. And listen, I've been in the ministry for over a decade and Jesus is still dealing with me in this. But you know what? I get anxious and fearful every single Saturday night and Sunday morning when I have to stand up here. And I die a thousand deaths on Saturday and Sunday morning. And every single week I have to tell myself, and I've been telling myself what I heard an old pastor say years ago, and I say it almost every single day, and it's this. It's none of my business what you think of me. And what I think you think of me, think about this, what I think you think of me will kill me. The only thing that really matters is what Jesus thinks of me. That's mine. What's yours? Let's pass the mic. I'm kidding. But what's yours? I mean, what is the thing this morning other than Jesus that you're looking to to prove that you're not a mistake? 
You see, the false teachers agreed on the fact, just with Paul, that we are unclean and need to be made righteous. What they didn't agree on is how you were made clean. The Judaizers said, work harder, try harder, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try to be good enough and maybe God will accept you. And the Apostle Paul comes and says, no. You are made right. The only thing that makes you right is Jesus and him alone. Only Jesus can give you the righteousness that you so desperately crave. And every human being, as I have tried to prove, is craving that righteousness. And if you try to find it in parenting, if you try to find it in your career or your preaching or your athletics or how smart you are, you know what will happen? Those things will crush you and make you a slave and never deliver. That's the first thing. Works of the law. Our gospel map, our key. We've got to understand that, uh, what the works of the law are. Secondly, justification by faith. Look at verse 16 again. Three times, here it is again, three times in verse 16, Paul uses a word. Again, it should tip us off. He uses the word justified. And Martin talked about this briefly uh, in his sermon last week, but we're going to do this again because that is the whole book of Galatians in one word. It's justification by faith. That's the whole book of Galatians. And so we can't hear it enough. Uh, Martin Luther is famous for saying about the gospel and the doctrine of justification, that we should know this article well. And we should teach it to others. And then listen to what he says. And beat it into their heads continually. So that's what we're doing this morning. We're going to beat it into our heads continually. Because we need it. If you're here this morning and you don't know what you think about Christianity, you honor us with your presence, but you need to know that essentially this is very, very important. If you want to understand Christianity, understand justification. It's what theologians have called the heart and the hub of the gospel or the heart and hub of Christianity. And for this word to really pop and jump off the page at us, we've got to remember it in its context here. Because this passage that we're looking at this morning is part of his conversation with Peter in the earlier verses in verses 11 through 14. Look at it again with me if you have your Bible open. In a nutshell, remember, Paul confronts Peter because Peter uh, stopped eating with the Gentiles. He was eating with the Gentiles. These powerful people from Jerusalem, these Jews, came onto the scene and walked into the room, into their Thanksgiving feast, And Peter sees them and thinks, oh no, I want to impress them. I want them to think well of me. And they scared him and made him fearful. And so he gets up from the table and goes back and starts eating with the Jews. In 11 through 14, it's basically Paul confronting Peter on that. That he's not living in step with the gospel. Then look at verse 14. After verse 14, you have in your Bible a heading that says justification by faith alone that English translators have added to your Bible And I don't think it's well placed because it chops up the passage and keeps you from seeing the context. But what we see here in verse 14, he confronts Peter. And then in verse 15, it's more like this. I'm sure it was intense because Paul's intense. But in verse 15, it's as if Paul puts his arm around Peter and says, come here a second. 
and Paul pulls out his gospel map. And he says, Peter, let me tell you something. Look at verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know, Peter, we know what the gospel teaches. Remember the gospel, Peter. Think about this. Paul, an apostle, preaching the gospel to another apostle. How much more do we need to preach the gospel to one another's hearts and to our own heart? And he preaches the gospel to him. Look at verse 16 and says, we know, Peter. We know that we're not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Justification by faith alone. You get that, you get the gospel. What does it mean? Let's work it out. It's a term that's taken from the courtroom. It's a legal term that has to do with a person who is on trial. Paul leaves the language of ceremonial law and cleanness, and he replaces it with this legal language of justification in order to describe his relationship and our relationship, if you're a Christian this morning, with God. To justify means that you declare a person on trial not guilty. It's the opposite of condemnation, but it's even better and stronger. It means that not only are you not guilty, but that you are entitled to all the rights and privileges of someone who has kept the law perfectly. You hear that? We often think justification is just forgiveness of sin, which is great, but it's way more and way better than that. You're forgiven of your sin, but you are also declared completely righteous as if you had kept the law perfectly. It's a once and all declaration of innocence, but also acceptance before God. And you might think, okay, how in the world is that possible? And that would be a great question. How is that possible, Jason, given the facts of the case against me? We all know we've got a case against us, and we don't have a prayer. And it's not like we've been unjustly charged. We all know that our life is a train wreck oftentimes, and we're a mess, and the Bible says it's true. The Bible says that we are born sinners, and because of our sin, you know what we deserve? Justly deserving God's displeasure and death. It'd be one thing if we were unfairly charged, but we're not. That's the truth. And God requires complete obedience. And so then how in the world can we be declared righteous in God's sight? Verse 16, through faith in Christ. That is what Christ has done. He came into the world. The reason why he lived 33 years and he had to be sinless is because he's earning a record of righteousness for you. And he earned that. He lived the life that you couldn't live and didn't live. And he gives you that life and that perfect record by faith. He goes and dies on a cross and dies the death that you deserve. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Justification means, and here it is, that Jesus came and everything he came into the world to do was to completely change God's view of you in his courtroom. Let me say that again. He came into the world, Jesus, this is what justification is, to change God's view of you in his courtroom. Think about it this way. You've got a family rule in your household that when your child goes out, you've got one rule and one rule only. That if they are to miss curfew, even by a minute, or if they are going somewhere other than you think they are, 
they need to pick up the phone and call you. That's your only rule in your house. Well, your daughter goes out the door and she's going, let's say, to her friend Jennifer's house. And curfew comes and your daughter's not home. One hour passes, two hour passes, three hours pass and she's not home. And you're in the living room at the front door, arms crossed, and you're ready for the speech of your life. Toe tapping, and sure enough, here she comes in the door. And you read the riot act. And it all builds to that one question. Where in the world have you been? And why didn't you call? She looks at you and says, Dad, Jennifer's dad had a heart attack and I've been at the hospital. Her family was a wreck. And they really needed me and I felt like I needed to stay and be with them. He's going to be okay. And I tried to call. I called over and over and over again, but your phone was off. And it went straight to voicemail. And sure enough, you go to your phone and you look at your phone and it was off. And you pick up and you turn your phone on and you have five new voicemails and ten missed calls. What was the child doing? The child, she was justifying her actions. She was saying, Dad, you've got to see me from a different point of view. I know the facts of the case don't look good. But I need you to look at me through a different lens. That's what justification is. It's you going before God and saying, God, I know the facts of the case. And they're not good. Because I'm a wreck. And I'm broken and I'm sinful and I need you, God, to see me from a different point of view. I need you to see me through a different lens. That's what Jesus came to do. To enable God to see you through a different lens. And he sees you now through the perfect lens of Jesus' perfect record of righteousness. And listen, that distinction really, really matters. And here's why. Justification doesn't change you. That sanctification, growing in holiness for the rest of your life until you're finally glorified and made perfect, standing before Jesus, seeing him face to face. Justification doesn't change you. In other words, it doesn't make you righteous. Justification declares you righteous. You're still a sinner. The child was still late. The parents were still worried sick. And there were probably still consequences for what had happened that night. But justification changes the way that you are seen. No longer is it through your success and failures and abilities or sincerity, but it's through the lens of Jesus' righteousness. That's why Martin Luther is famous for saying that you are simultaneously, at the very same time, sinner and saint. At the very same time, the gospel says that yes, you're still broken, but you are righteous. And you have a record now that makes you fit and acceptable for a relationship with God. R.C. Sproul tells this story, one of his conferences that we in, there were hundreds of people there. And he had everyone stand up at the conference. And he says, please sit down if you are as righteous as your pastor. Half the room sat down. He said, okay, for those of you still standing, please 
uh, sit down if you are as righteous as Billy Graham. More people, or please remain standing if you're as righteous as Billy Graham. More people sat down. Now there are only 10 people standing. Then he says, all right, remain standing for the 10 that are there. Remain standing, these 10, if you are as righteous as Jesus. And everyone in the room sat down but this one older lady. And he looked at her in front of these hundreds of people. And he says, this lady is the only one who understands the gospel. The only one who understands justification. You see, we all have this enduring need of righteousness. The works of the law come and they say, earn it, prove it, work harder, perform. The gospel comes and says, it's not about your performance, it's about Jesus' performance on your behalf. And I don't know about you, but that is really, really good news, isn't it? You know why it's good news? Because there's not a one of us here that has a record that could be able to stand up under God's judgment. Me included. It's good news for people who have a bad record. Like us. You see how relevant this is? You see how relevant this is to your life this morning? Think about the worst moment of your week. What is the worst moment of your week? The thing this week that happened that you don't want to tell anyone. In fact, you might not ever tell anyone. And in that worst moment, I want you to think about this. Are there consequences to your sin? Absolutely, there are consequences. But in that worst moment, if you are in Christ, he sees you through the lens of Jesus in your worst moment as someone who obeyed, as someone who loved perfectly, as someone who, like Jesus, speaks the truth in love, as someone who's never given in to temptation, as someone who has never doubted the Father's love. You think about that, when that starts going from here as something we just know theologically in our heads, and it goes to here in your heart, that will change your life. You know, we've talked this morning about some of the richest theology that you'll ever hear. And here's the question, so what? Who cares? What does this have to do with me tomorrow on Monday morning when I wake up and all the issues are still looking me in the eye? It has everything to do with you tomorrow morning when you wake up. You see, our hearts and our heads are leaky vessels. We're forgetful people. We forget the gospel, and we need it every single day. And so what do you do? You wake up tomorrow morning, and you pull out your gospel map. And in the midst of your shame and your sin and your fears and your anxiety and all the things in the world that you're looking at that day that are saying, come serve me. Come find your righteousness in your parenting, in your work, and in your career, and in your grades, and in your athletic ability. And the world's going to scream that at you in the morning. You know what you say? You look at that and you say, that does not define me. That is not who I am. That is not where my worth and value is. That will crush me. In the morning you wake up and you say that I am no longer what I have done and what you did and you are no longer defined by what you do. You say Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my life. He is my hope. He is the only one that can make me right. And anything else will kill me. And you get up the next morning and you do it again. And you get up the next morning and you do it again. 
and you do it again over and over and over. And it's not easy, and the Bible doesn't pretend that it is, but it's the way that you grow and change in the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making us clean. Thank you that you came down to us and you didn't make us work our way to you. Would you help us this week to rest in this great news that righteousness doesn't come by our performance or by how good we are or what we've done or what we're not doing, but it comes through Jesus and his perfect record that he has given us by faith. Help us to live by faith and believe that every moment of every day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.